We're continuing a series on life hacks, which is, which I didn't know this till Dave started talking about it last week. I always thought hack was something really negative, and he said, well, it can be, but also life hacks talk about things that make life better, more efficient, um, you know, just good, simpler maybe. So today we're going to talk about emotional life hacks, because emotions can get in the way of a good life. Now, not positive emotions. I don't think anybody's gotten in trouble for being too happy. Has anybody gotten in trouble for being too happy or too joyful lately? Uh, not usually, but it's the negative emotions that really get to us, okay? The negative emotions of fear and anger, um, things like that, those really get in our way of a prosperous Christian life. So I want to talk about a specific emotion, a specific negative emotion that I personally have dealt with um, that was kind of a thorn in my side for a while in my life. Um, and also we're going to talk about somebody in the Bible who should have had this negative emotion and didn't and what they did to receive from God. And I'm going to give you a little bit of tidbits that I've learned along the way that have been help helpful. First, I want to show you a, a picture of this uh, animal called a slow loris. The slow loris, isn't that cute? They're found in Southeast Asia. I keep wanting to say the Lorax from Dr. Seuss, but that's not it. It's a slow loris. And they just look like you want to cuddle them, you know, and hug them and get real close to them and pet them. And people do have them for pets, but in their elbows, they have a toxin that they secrete out of their elbows that's poisonous. And if they feel threatened, they lick their elbow. Okay, all, all the kids, try and lick your elbow. I can't do it. Anyway, so they, they lick their elbows. They get that toxin in their teeth and on their tongue, and then they bite you. And if you're allergic to the toxin, you could die. And unfortunately, you don't know if you're allergic to it until you get bitten. So it's not a good thing. So I don't think I want one for a pet. But the reason I show you this picture is because the emotion that I'm going to talk to you about is something that we want to cuddle up to. It feels really good to our natural person. It feels like really comfortable. It feels right. You feel justified in feeling like this. And I'm talking about victim mentality or self-pity. I don't know how many of us have struggled with it. I know everybody's been tempted with it, especially when things happen in our lives that aren't good, that we're getting a raw deal. We are tempted to go into self-pity and to destructive mindsets like that. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And I want to tell you some things that I have learned through it. But we don't want to cuddle up to it. That's what I found out. Because it is like quicksand. It's like a deep pit that you can fall into. And then it's really, really hard to get out of it. And besides it being destructive, towards your life, you're not very pleasant to be around. You're just not a very happy person where, when you're in the throes of self-pity. And so God doesn't want us there. He wants us to have a different mindset. And some of you guys might be thinking, well, I don't really need this message. Just do a checkup, okay? You might need it in the future. You might be in some self-pity right now and you don't even know it. But I can tell you, it's stopping your faith from working. It's stopping you from receiving from God if you have that mindset. It's stopping you from being pleasing to God because the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
And you can't have faith and self-pity going on at the same time. All right? So the first thing that I want to talk to you about is some tidbits that I learned, some mindsets that you want to... And um, here's a picture of something that you might see on the road. Bridge out. So what happens when you get to a sign like that? You turn around, right? Any sane person is going to turn around. Well, these things I'm going to tell you are things to watch out for. And when you see yourself thinking this way, when you see yourself talking this way, think, don't go any further. Turn around and change my mindset because the bridge is out. I'm going to go into the hole if I keep going this way. All right? So the first thing that we are going to talk about, I keep saying the first thing. The first mindset is the if-only mindset. When we are saying to ourselves or to other people, and you can find this in your handout if you want to fill, fill in the blanks, many times a negative mindset starts with, if only. If only my life were different. If only I was married to somebody else. If only I had children. If only I didn't have children. You know, if only I would get a break. If only if I had a different job. If only I made more money. If only my parents hadn't been this way. If only this hadn't happened to me, then my life would be better. So this <clears throat> is danger. This is bridge out talk, self-talk, or saying it to somebody else. A lot of times it's just going on in our heads, and we have to be aware of that. We say, Holy Spirit, show me when I'm starting to do this. Because the if-onlys will get you in big trouble. And it's fantasy land, okay, when we're wishing our lives were different. If we're saying the grass is greener on the other side, and you know what that means, it means somebody on the other side is watering their lawn, is cutting their grass, is fertilizing it, it looks beautiful, whereas maybe you're not doing anything for your life and your lawn, and so that's why you think it stinks, okay? But the if-onlys can get you in big trouble. Be very, very careful of that. Number two, things will never change. Things will never change. So this is a hopelessness that people fall into. And it might not be about their whole life. They might not think that about their whole life. But certain parts of your life where you're stuck, you're thinking, it's never going to change. It's always been like this. I can't get out of this. And you just get really frustrated. And sometimes bitter. And sometimes we even get offended. We get offended at God. Why, is I, why am I stuck in this? Why can't I get out of this, God? Or we get offended at other people who are blessed in that area and we're not. And can I tell you something? Once you get offended, the anointing of God, the favor of God, the faith of God, it all stops. It just stops right there. We gotta move past offense. So I was a pretty happy kid. I had a normal life. I grew up in a su suburb of St. Louis, had three sisters, parents that were married, um, went to a good school, had, you know, had problems and things like that, but pretty good childhood. And all of a sudden, when I became a teenager, about 12 or 13, I had like these negative thoughts just start bombarding me about how I didn't have this and I didn't have that because I was focused on not what I had, but what I didn't have. I did not know Christ at that time.
church, but I did not have a personal relationship with Christ. I did not know how to combat those negative thoughts. I thought you just had to think whatever came in your brain. If you, if you are under that belief, let me tell you, that's not true. You can resist the thoughts that come in your mind. In fact, you need to resist some thoughts that come to your mind and replace them with what God says, or you're going to go off the cliff. You're going to go to that bridge out road. You're going to end up in the pit because there's all kinds of thoughts bombarding our minds. It's kind of like, to me, the Internet. You know, all those things that are out there going on that we can't even see, but we pull it in on our computer, and it's so nice. We can look up everything on Google. It's wonderful. But we don't even know all the stuff that's out there that's going on. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm, in the mental realm. There's things out there going on trying to get into your brain and your heart, and you've got to guard it if you want your life to be prosperous, all right? So I was just starting to get bombarded with stupid stuff, really. I mean, looking back, I think it's stupid stuff. But when you're a kid, it's important. And one of the things was... I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast, and <laughs> I just really didn't start till I was in junior high, so I'm not going to be an Olympic gymnast or anything like that. Um, and my parents really didn't have the money to send me to a private club. All I could do was practice on the old equipment we had at school. And, you know, I was just mediocre. And so I just started feeling pitiful about it and sorry for myself. And I would whine and cry to my coach about it, you know, and he didn't feel sorry for me. But we, we do that. We try and manipulate people or God with our self-pity and our victimhood, our victim mentality. And God's not impressed, and it doesn't really get us anywhere except depressed, okay? So I was like that till I came to Christ at age 19. I didn't want to be negative anymore. Before that, I just didn't care. I was just like a negative person, didn't have very many friends. Um, I know, you can't hardly believe this, right? But it's... <laughs> so true. It's just, you just ask my sisters and my parents and they will tell you this. But I came to Christ at age 19 in college, drastically changed my whole outlook on life. I didn't want to be negative anymore. However, I found out that when you give in to those things over and over and over again, and I firmly believe this, I don't know what you think about this, but I believe that there's dark spiritual forces that will come and help you out in your negativity. They'll just jump right in there like that slow loris. They'll just hug on you and love on you. And pretty soon, you are covered up, and you can't find your way out. And that's what I felt like. I wasn't negative all the time anymore, but something would trigger it, where I would feel like I was cheated or somebody didn't treat me right, and I would just go to that place, that deep, negative darkness. And I tell you, I didn't know how to get out of it. It was so, uh, it was dark. And I didn't want to be there anymore. But it's like I didn't have control over it anymore. Then I read a book called Pigs in the Parlor. This is many, many years ago. And it's about spiritual oppression. I really didn't know what that was. So I started reading about it. And I recognized, hey, that's not just my emotions going on. There's something else going on. And I had to resist that. I had to renounce that. I had to stand against it. I had to break old patterns and habits of the way that I would react to things and change it and transform my mind and renew my mind with the word of God. And it took some time, but I did. And I still have to be vigilant about it, though. I have to be careful because when you have given unto that, you could be vulnerable in that area again. So if you're in that area, there's good news. You can get out. 
or if there's any negative emotion that you have succumbed to over and over again and you just feel like you don't have control of it anymore, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's self-pity or depression or anything like that, you can come out of it by the power of God's word. And if you're not there, then I just really encourage you to stay vigilant in guarding your heart with the word of God and staying positive and not falling into these temptations. Because like I said, self-pity feels so right when you're not treated correctly. It just feels like you should do it. <laughs> think slow lures. <laughs> think, think toxic poison coming at you. You don't want that. All right. The fourth one that I, oh no, are we on three? Three, thank you, Ron. Life isn't fair, that, this one we hear all the time. Life isn't fair, it's not fair. It's not fair that this happened to me. It's not fair that this happened to that person or this group of people. And you know what, this is so rampant in our culture, isn't it? And I'm not trying to make any political statements here, I'm just saying I see this everywhere and I just know it's the devil's trap because people, who are doing this, they're just not ever going to get the answers that they're looking for or the help that they need if we stay in this. But the life isn't fair. You're right. <laughs> Absolutely. Life is not fair. It's not ever going to be fair on this planet till Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom and he rules with justice and he does everything right and he sets everything right. Then we're going to have justice and fairness, but until then, we, we need to stop expecting that life will be fair for us because it's just not going to happen. And so if we're always setting ourselves up to have this expectation, we're going to be disappointed, and that's a, a hard emotion to deal with also. So what can we do? We, it's not like we want to expect the worst. We want to put our trust in God and have faith that he makes the right things wrong. And he's going to help us in our situations. But why did this happen to me? Our life isn't fair. It's probably not a helpful question. It's just not going to get us very far where we want to be. All right? And then number four, they owe it to me. If we feel like we're owed something by somebody else or by God, we're going to have a chip on our shoulder. That's the way I felt. I felt like somebody owes me Something, you know, this life, this world owes me something. It made me a, a very unpleasant person. Um, truth be told, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us the breath, the air that we're breathing. He doesn't owe us, you know, the legs that we're walking on, the vision that we have. Um, he doesn't owe us the mind that we can think. He doesn't owe us anything. It's all by his grace. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us by his grace. And so if we would get a mentality about grace, that it's all from God, we'll just be happier people. Just happier people. All right. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, all things are yours. All things are yours. What's he talking about? In Christ, everything that we need for life and godliness has been given to us already. All things are, are yours. So why are you mad about or think that somebody owes you something if God says all things are already yours? Right? So that's a good uh, counter argument to when you feel tempted, feel like somebody owes you something. No, all things are mine. Now, 
I might not know how to receive those things yet. I might not be good yet about receiving from God, but I have to know that God is good and he wants to bless me and he's blessing me as much as he can. Can I tell you that? God's blessing you as much as you're allowing him to right now or as much as you have because he's good. What we have to do is change how we think, change our faith, change how we respond to God, remove some barriers, and I hope that's what today is about, removing a really big barrier that can be in our life of wrong thinking. And when we do that, then God is able to bless us more. But he's blessing you as much as he can. You might not like that. <laughs> you might not like to hear that. But a good prayer would be, okay, God, what can I change in my life so you could bless me more? Because I know you want to bless me, and that would please you. So that's a good way to pray. All right. Now, I'm not saying if somebody perpetrated a crime against you or violated you in some way that you shouldn't seek legal recourse or anything like that. Please do not hear that. I'm just saying that the attitude in our heart is forgiveness and the attitude in our heart is God is my justice and God gives me favor. And then we trust him to be good. And we're going to find that out here in just a minute when we get to the Bible story. So here is the emotional life hack number one. You get to choose whether you are a victim or a victor. You get to choose. Not God, because God has already chosen you to be victorious. Not our parents. Our parents don't choose. The government doesn't choose. Our spouse doesn't choose. Our, our friends, our enemies, they don't choose. The, the person who perpetrated something against you, they don't choose whether you're a victim. This is so countercultural. Our whole culture is saying if somebody's done something against you, you're a victim, and you need to be a victim, and you need to get what a victim deserves. And I'm just saying that's not going to get anybody satisfied or blessed or helped. It just doesn't work. So God says, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be unto God who gives you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say that together? But thanks be to God who gives you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's say this time gives me the victory, okay? But thanks be to God who gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful scripture to commit to memory, all right? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Um, I remember when I was uh, a young Christian, uh, probably a lot of you know who uh, Joyce Meyer is, Bible teacher Joyce Meyer. Well, she tells this wonderful story, and I related to it so well. She talked about when she was early in her ministry, she battled self-pity and victim mentality a lot. And she had a lot to battle because she had been abused by her father, she had been uh, divorced and, and abandoned by her first husband. So anyway, she's, she's actually a Bible teacher at this time. She's on staff at a church, and she still is battling the self-pity stuff. And she would get mad because her husband, Dave, uh, would watch ball games on the weekend, and she wanted him to do what she wanted to do. And so she would just get mad, and he, would, he just was not manipulated by her at all. And so she would just stomp around the house, and she'd be mad. She'd be cleaning the house. She'd go to the back bathroom, she said, and she'd be on the floor, scrubbing the floor, and then scrubbing the toilet and crying and telling God how hard her life was because her husband wouldn't stop watching ball games on TV on the weekends. And then she'd look in the mirror, and her 
splotchy face and tears, and then she'd cry because she looked so awful, you know. And so then she'd stomp back out, and she'd go through the living room where he's watching TV and hope that he would notice, you know, how pitiful she was. And she'd say, hey, Joyce. She'd go, yeah. Can you get me an iced tea when you go to the kitchen? Oh, she would just be so furious, you know. But she had to learn that that wasn't going to work, and God spoke to her. And I will never forget this. And he told her, he said, you can be pitiful or you can be powerful, but you're not going to be both. <laughs> that is so true. Because if we're pitiful, we, we just give up our power. We just say, devil, take all my spiritual power because I'm going to be pitiful today. So you can be pitiful or you can be powerful, but you're not going to be both. So we decide, though. We decide how which way we're going to go. Now, I'm going to show you a story in the Bible, and then we're going to have communion together. This guy is called Blind Bartimaeus. You're probably, maybe you're familiar with the story, but we're going to talk about what he did instead of succumbing to self-pity and to being a victim, what he did and how he got a miracle from God. So let's start in verse, let's see, where are we? 46. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Okay, so Jesus is there. A lot of people around him, not just his 12 disciples, lots of people jostling around. Um, they're probably wanting to touch him. They're trying to listen to what he's saying, seeing what he's doing because he's the miracle man. So he's got a, a, this large entourage following him. And on the side of the road is a beggar named Bartimaeus, and a beggar back then, well, first of all, let's talk about somebody that has a physical disability like blindness, something beyond your control, surely, right? Leads to economic hardship because the only way that he can make a living, we don't know if he had a family, we don't know how long he's been blind, but the only way that he can make a living is through other people just being kind to him and uh, taking pity on him. So it seems like you should be more and more pitiful then if you need people to take pity on you. In fact, when Dave and I were in Thailand a couple months ago, we were asking about, you know, the level of poverty there in Thailand because we noticed it wasn't quite as severe as when we were in the Philippines a few years previous. And one of the missionaries told us, yeah, there's pockets, and you'll see people begging, and sometimes you'll see them with small children, with toddlers, and they're all drugged up so that they look more pitiful, so people will give them more money. And we actually did see that, a little, like, two- or three-year-old little girl kind of draped across her mom's lap, and she wasn't asleep, but her eyes were just glazed over and, you know, limp, like a toddler would not be that way. And it was just, it was so sad, you know, that somebody feels like they're in such a desperate situation that they have no hope that that's what they have to do. Well, blind Bartimaeus, he had some other things against him which... We may not be able to pick up just from reading the scripture, but in the culture of that time, somebody that was a beggar was considered cursed by God. So God, he might have that perception, God's against me. I'm cursed by God. The other thing was people that were blind, and we know this in another story of Jesus in the gospel, people that were blind, they thought, well, that person probably sinned, and that's why they're blind. I have no idea why everybody wouldn't have been blind then because everybody sinned, so I'm not sure what that rationale was. But that's another thing where somebody just thought, 
they've got him pegged, you know, they're judging him. He, here's a sinner, and he's blind, and he's cursed by God, and he can't make a living. You know, he's got all these things against him. So he's a pretty pitiful guy. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is a really interesting request because he calls Jesus by his messianic name, which is son of David. In the Old Testament, they knew that was the Messiah. So he's identifying him as God's representative, if not God. He's calling out to God, actually. God, have mercy on me. Mercy meaning not pity. Don't feel sorry for me. Mercy was uh, like a term of action where you got a result from God. Many, many times in the Gospels, people cried out to mercy, for mercy from Jesus. They got healed or they got delivered. Okay, So he's asking for healing here. He's saying, God, heal me. That is his request. God, heal me. Now think about, think about that. He's had to overcome thinking that God has cursed him and that he is being judged as a sinner. But he overcomes that and somehow believes that God wants to be good to him and to heal him and to reverse the situation. And I had to ask myself, how did he come to that conclusion? And I think the key is Jesus of Nazareth. He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. There were a lot of Jesuses back then. There's a common name like Joshua, like Dave talked about a few weeks ago. But Jesus of Nazareth was the miracle-working guy that was having mercy and compassion on thousands of people. And maybe he heard about the leper that Jesus reached out and touched, an untouchable, and said, it's my will that you be healed. Maybe he heard about that. And maybe he thought, if Jesus did it for that one guy in another town, then maybe he'll do it for me in my place, in my situation. And that's what God wants us to think about. He wants us to think about, if I've done it anywhere, at any time, for anybody, I can do it for you. That's what God wants us to do because that's how faith is built. Not focusing on what we don't have, but on, the, on God. On God. So when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, verse 38, and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And I think it's interesting. He didn't say, Jesus, please feel sorry for me. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know how terrible it is to be a beggar. You don't know what a rough life I've had and how I don't deserve this and how the world owes me something. He didn't say that. He appealed to the goodness of God. He said, I know you're merciful. I know you're good. I believe that you want to be good to me, even though people were trying to shut him down. See, he had to have some faith to keep on going past everything that people were doing to shut him down. And when you step out in faith, people will come and try and shut you down. It's a temptation to give in when people come against you and just to shut it down yourself and just say, all right, I guess it's not for me. I guess really, maybe God doesn't want to be good for me. All these people are telling me to shut up. But he didn't give up, and I'm so glad he didn't. You know, um, he had a, what we call a BHAG. Do you guys know what a BHAG is? Thank you, Aaron. A big, hairy, audacious goal to be healed. He had a BHAG 
that he could be healed, that his whole fortunes could be turned around, that he could make a living for himself and for his family, that he could see again, that God loved him, that he wasn't cursed, that God wanted to be good to him. That's a BHAG. And we all need those, don't we? And to get those achieved in our lives, we have to believe that God wants to be good to us. That's what faith is. It's believing that God wants to be good to you and me. To be good to you specifically in the situation that you're in. Even when it doesn't look like it. Because it sure didn't look like it to him. So here's our second emotional life hack. Get your focus on the God who wants to be good to you. Get your focus on the God who wants to be good to you. Verse verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Faith will stop Jesus in his tracks. Did you know that? And he will pass over a million people to get to somebody who's believing that he's going to be good to them. He will. Verse 50. Oh, I'm sorry, the rest of that verse says, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Crowd just switched their attitude right away, didn't they? When, when Jesus put his favor on that man, and God could do that for you too. When you step out in faith, and people can be against you, and God can just put his favor on you, and things can just change in a second like they did for Bartimaeus. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. He had a beggar's coat. It was issued to him by the religious authorities. It gave him authority to be legitimately a beggar. Couldn't just anybody couldn't just be a beggar. You had to be legitimate. And you had to have the cloak to prove it. And he would threw it off before he got his healing, before he even got to Jesus. He threw off that cloak because he was taking on a new identity. He's like, God's gonna do something good for me now. That's the expectation that he had instead of victimhood or self-pity. And it's amazing to me, and I love it. And that's why he's in the Bible, right? So he got rid of his beggar's cloak, and he put on a new identity. Verse 51, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you, blind Bartimaeus? That's not in the text, that part. I always think that's so funny. Blind Bartimaeus, what do you think you want? You know, what do you want God to do for you? But Jesus wanted to hear him say his faith. I want to see. This is what I want, God. I want to see. And Jesus was so pleased with his faith. He said to him, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Wow. What a great attitude this man had despite all his obstacles. I don't know how he got there. But thank God he did, and we can too. I mean, I don't think any of us here have circumstances that are quite as bad as a blind beggar. So we can use the power of faith, which is simply believing that God is good and wants to do good to us. All blind Bartimaeus had was his mouth. (laughs) He had his voice that he could cry out to God, and that's what he used. And so God's just asking us to use what we have and be faithful and expect him to do good to us. Amen.